All right, welcome back. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's politics and parenting, where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I'm exhausted because <laughs> I have a lot of kids. I feel like that's uh, that's a recurring theme on this show. It's a recurring theme when you record at eight thirty on Sunday night. <laughs> I feel like that's the end of my week and the beginning of my week all at the same time. Yeah, I I see it as like the beginning, um, but I it, it is definitely the end. Yeah. It's eighth, it, what is it? It's the eighth day, you know? So you got the first and the, and the eighth. Yeah. All in the same. So uh, what were you thinking about talking about this week? There was, there was some big speech or something I heard about. Uh, did you hear about that? I think like this, this guy, the president, spoke the other day. And there was lots of uh, hot topics going around about what he said and how he said it. Yeah, there, uh, there were two speeches this week. Uh, one by our current president, one by a past president. And I was happy to join in the chorus of people having ideas on uh, what can be improved in those speeches. Um, so I, I think one thing we'd like to talk about is, you know, we part of politics is building coalitions. It's bringing people along. It's trying to convince people that you're, you've got the right ideas and that they should actually come along with you and follow you and eventually vote for you if it's about politics. And I think one problem that people rightly saw with Trump is that he would very much try to appeal to his base and he never really tried to break out of that and appeal to people outside of that so that he could build that coalition that he kind of uh, got an inside straight on to win in 2016. Um, and I think we saw this past week with President Biden. He took his speech and he just sort of he tried to eviscerate people that didn't agree with him. And, he, you know, it, it gets couched in all sorts of language about protecting democracy which we like to bring up on the show that we're not a democracy we're a republic but really it was sort of like if you don't agree with the democratic party's platform you have no uh, future in america and you should just kind of walk away you know we're going to take the ball and walk away and we don't want you to have any part of this um and kind of what i wrote about was the idea that um taking the this idea of, of bees and I used to keep bees before a lot of them died and I don't have any time for them now but one of the the neat things about bees is that they communicate with each other sort of they build cohesion through smells like they can smell each other and so when a bee comes into the hive the bees at the at the door guarding it will smell that bee and if they recognize the, the smell they'll accept the bee into the colony and there's no problem but if they don't accept the the, the recognize the smell they won't let the bee in but that's those smells can be learned. Um, you know, you can take two. If you've got two different hives, um, perhaps you've got a strong hive and a weak hive. So a hive that'll probably make it through the winter, and a hive that definitely won't. You can take that weak hive and you can actually combine it with the strong hive. And there's a technique for that where you put a piece of paper, a piece of newspaper between the two hive bodies, and over the couple of days, as the bees start to eat through the paper they get to, they learn each other's smells and they uh, eventually intermingle and become one um, co colony, one cohesion. So my the joke in my um, title was out of many bees, one hive and sort of playing on that a pluribus unum, out of many, one. And I think um, what is so missing in our politics is the idea of 
trying to bring people along. And it's so much of what we see is just demonizing anyone who doesn't agree with us. Um, one of the things that, that I hate the most is this term rhino with the Republican in name only, where someone has said, you know, I'm a Republican. Um, but because other people don't think that they, that they ascribe to whatever the idea of a perfect Republican is, if they go against something that, that this, that a consensus agrees is not Republican, then they get tagged as a rhino and there's a big effort to primary them and to get them out. And that's why, you know, that, that part of that creates party unity, but part of it also, uh, creates an insular party, a party that can't, that sort of, um, can't grow, uh, doesn't bring people along. And I think one of the problems with the Republican Party is that it has no platform. So there isn't really a, a true Republican. Um, it's all just, you know, you know what's the, what's the, uh, whatever people like at the time. Um, and then, you know, I right. think that allows someone like Trump to come in and sort of take over the party because there wasn't really any principles other than maybe low taxes. Um, and so, sorry to interrupt there, but I was thinking you're talking about the Republican Party and, and kind of how they were just like taken over by Trump. But the Democratic Party is this party that kind of has a platform, but it is kind of moving towards that one party rule. Right. I think that's like that's what people didn't like about Biden's speech um, is not necessarily everything that he said, but how he said it forcefully. He said it, how he denounced like a group of people, just like what you're talking about with the, the Republicans, you know, denouncing the you know, rhinos, if you will, if they don't agree 100% with our philosophy or I, our ideology, you are now like out, you're out in the cold. It's that dichotomy society, that binary decision making that, you know, really both the Republican and the Democratic Party has kind of pushed on society over the last, let's say, 100 years or so. The, the whole effort to get party unity, to get uh, complete uh, unanimity on any issue. Um, and I, you know, I, I think Part of the problem with Biden's speech is that it sort of it's it's kind of bad rhetoric because he you know when you're giving a speech you, you know you're trying to bring people along you're you're generally trying to calm them because there's some pain that they're feeling some hurt and you're trying to with words uh, help cure them um, and I think with his speech there was no effort to cure anyone it was an effort to cudgel people and, and you know like. Um, to sort of make someone lepers and ostracize them from the city. Um, and I think that's that's what is not going to, you know, he talks about trying to help our country, but that's not going to help our country when you're literally forcing half the country either to leave or to um, stop taking part of, of civil society. Well, and you know, that, that rhetoric that you're talking about, I think it like, you know, Trump really was, you know, the man about the rhetoric when he was president, right? It was that strong man rhetoric. And that's kind of what Biden was evoking. And I always think back to like, you know, I have this, this philosophy. I was like, if a man is acting strong, he's probably feeling weak. You know, that's whenever I saw Trump out there bashing somebody else, I thought that's a weak man, right? And when I hear the, the stuff from Biden, I think that's a weak man. You know, when you're trying to tell people you're strong, uh, you you're probably standing on some shaky foundation there and I think it's also part of our society and like the way that we perceive manhood and how it's supposed to be nowadays like people have grown up with this idea that men are supposed to be strong and act strong but in reality you and I both know this we've read a lot of history when you read the great leaders the Lincoln the Madison the Washington they were very 
vulnerable people. They were they allowed their emotions to be seen for what they were, both when they were weak and strong. And they didn't force being strong on anyone else. And uh, I think it's it's important because as a society, we need to understand that. And then we need leaders who also understand that, that can communicate like you were talking about, you know, communicate to the people to try to help heal them with words as opposed to like just pound them into submission, you know? Yeah, the the whole pounding with submission, the whole trying to uh, make people feel bad. I mean, like you're talking about emotions and stuff, like the whole part of Biden's speech is either to make you feel really good that you're with him or to feel really bad and angry that you're not, um, as opposed to, you know, trying to heal those wounds, trying to make things better. Part of the, the whole idea of rhetoric is that um, it's an attempt to persuade, it's an attempt to get someone to do something. But what, you know, what he was trying to do with that speech was to try to be very American. You know, it's in front of the Independence Hall in Philadelphia. It's got this red and, and blue background. It's got the, the military aspect with the Marines in the back. Um, so it, it's got the whole setting up for something that could be very magna, uh, magnanimous, very, um, you know, raw, raw American. But instead, it's it's just the same of what we see. You know, he's doing what what everyone complained about on the other side, where it's uh, a little substance, and it's just trying to browbeat people into coming along with with what um, uh, with what the Biden administration wants. You know, because um, it's basically like you know, if you don't agree with uh, uh, with the debt reduction, you're terrible. If you're, I think you're pro life, you're terrible. And I think I think that's part of the there's a lot of false dichotomies in that. Like he says, we know not all Republicans are so terrible, but then he starts taking sort of traditional Republican ideas, especially the pro-life issue, um, and saying like, if you disagree with me on pro-life issues, you're part of this extremist bunch of Republicans. And I think anyone with a the sense of reason knows that that's completely false. Um, so I, I think that really what we need is more measured uh, talk. We need people to, um, as you were saying, not have such a strong man um, attitude, not to come in there with fire and brimstone, but to sort of talk through ideas and to uh, try to explain things and to teach people. And I think that's, um, you know, that's what's going to make things better rather than yelling and being pretend forceful and um, doing that fake strong man. Yeah. You know what I think you're, you're describing. And I, I wrote about, I wrote an article this week of, hopefully release it later this uh, tomorrow or the next day. Um, and I talked about political theory versus like being a politician. So if you're a political theorist, your idea, or, or excuse me, political theory is about balancing power in government. And, um, you know, being political or being a politician is about grasping, obtaining that power and using it to serve whatever interest you serve. Um and I think we need more political theorists in in the system and less politicians, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what Biden and Trump are. They're politicians. Their sole objective is to grasp, gain, and obtain power, and then use it to their will. Um, that they both they work for the Republican and Democratic, and that's their goals. They work up and down the line to to grab, maintain that power. Um, and I think you know one of the biggest reasons we have that is because we've got this small house right we talk about that a lot on the on the show um our house is at 435 but it shouldn't be right because our founders were very concerned about representation they designed the system um think of the 
think of the House essentially as a communication mechanism, okay? And then the House, the Senate, and the executive create this like cone or funnel. Their objective is to catch the people's voice and then funnel power up through the executive, okay? But since 1911, our House has been capped, which means that funnel has remained the same size, but our population has grown larger and larger. And I've got some graphics in the article that you can take a look at. And what you'll see is that steer... (laughs) <laughs> in the show notes, right? And what you'll see is, you know, with that funnel remaining the same size and you've got this sphere of power, and remember, people are power, the sphere of power that's uncontrolled, it's outside of the sphere, and it, it grows and grows, and now it's large enough where it can't be caught by the sphere anymore. Only some of it can be caught. And so you've got this very corrupt environment, and um, it allows, it is really only allows for two parties to coexist. If, if there's there's not enough room in the house body of 435 for a third party to exist, that reason, if you will, to exist. Um, and the political theorist as opposed to the politicians, you know, somebody that's in there not for profit or gain, but just to do his duty to his country. Um, and so, you know, I write in the article, I think we should expand to 870. If you, if you make the cone bigger, right, the funnel mm-hmm. bigger, now you can catch the people's voice again. You can start to funnel power from the people back up to the executive. Um, the biggest problem I saw with Biden's speech was the fact that people were watching it, right? Like people yeah. cared. The fact is, is, is if you're a citizen of this country, like your power is vested in the House of Representatives. That should be your focus. You shouldn't be so focused on the president every four years. Should you partake in it? Should you pay attention? Absolutely. Should you hang on every word? No. Like you should be in your representative's ear every single day if you have something valuable or you're concerned about your country. And if you're going to be in your representative's ear, you should be asking the right questions the right questions. And I believe the right question to ask your representative is why 435? Because think about it. If the population has tripled, okay, and people equal power, that means each house reps has gained, has tripled their power in the last hundred years, tripled their power. Okay. Why are they holding on to that? Why are they not dispersing that out to a larger uh, portion of the population and allowing us to take some of that power, some of that responsibility, because remember, power is people, but power is also responsibility. Take that on our sh- shoulders to help govern the country. The you know, from that time period where we capped, um, we've had the New Deal, World War II, the Cold War, um, Desert Storm, 9/11, and our administrative state has grown. The federal government has grown, but the people's mechanism to check that power hasn't. And that's the house. And that's why I think it's really important that we, you know, we expand, you know, our representation out. We give people a chance to be heard, a chance to have some power again. Um, And I think doing that allows for that third party to exist. Because remember, prior to like the 1920s, America had a very competitive party system. It wasn't always a two-party system. There may be a there may have been two main parties, but there was always a third party floating around able to put out a serious presidential candidate. That's essentially what created the Republican Party is they they formed together with a whole bunch of other parties that, you know, third parties, fourth parties, fifth parties that were around at the time. And they created this one big Republican, this big tent Republican Party um, under Lincoln and, and during the Civil War. That point that you make about the bureaucracy going is is a key point too. Like it's one thing to say, well, the you know the con- population, the country's expanded, and you make a point in your article, which um, is that 
you know, going to 400,000 people per representative with technology that, you know, the representative can communicate with their, with their constituents. But I think that key point is that there's so many new government programs that have come about since that 435 number was capped that I would say it's incredibly difficult for someone in the, for the house to kind of do uh, responsibly perform that oversight function and responsibly perform that budgeting process. And I think we see now where, you know, every October there's some big omnibus bill that comes forward that they've kind of been working on, but not really. And there's not really any planning behind it, but it's just sort of a grab bag of whatever uh, pet projects congressmen have and whatever the agencies say they need spending on. But I think, I mean, if you look at the committee structure, there's probably, uh, you know, it seems like there's 20 to 30 uh, congressmen in each of these committees. But if you, uh, and they're all sort of tasked with like three or four things. I mean, if you could break that apart, if you could double the house, each of those committees still had 20 or 30 people in it. But now you've got twice as many committees that could each have a, a, a bigger focus on a particular department, then I think you could actually get uh, a better oversight job done by Congress. Because I imagine if you're on the health uh, labor and education committee that you're responsible for health and human services, you're responsible for the Department of Education, you're responsible for uh, the Department of Labor. I mean, that's a lot of bureaucratic uh, gears that are grinding under there that need someone to look over. But if you could split that into three different committees that were each responsible for one of those departments, I think that's another selling point for expanding the House in terms of, you know, it's not just that you've got representatives that can listen to their constituents, but now you've given the representatives a chance to do that job so much better than they could before. Right. And it and it's kind of like the way that Madison saw power in, in our government originally, right? Because in previous republics, you had the power divested of the people divested in the state, right? In the Senate. And then you had a federal authority as well. Well, we split that. We took that power, that individual uh, power away from the state and we gave it to the House. So the, so the Senate is supposed to focus on the state. It, it gives them focus. And then the House is supposed to focus on the people. Well, same thing here is by dividing that power out, spreading it out to a larger group and having, you know, more committees to oversee all the different bureaucratic, you know, agencies, you're able to allow them to focus more on doing their job. It's ba it's it's like a division of labor and capitalism, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's basic life skills, right? And somehow... In our government, we've come up with this idea that 435 is the number and don't question it. Because like when you ask people that like I have gone to conferences, I've asked congressmen, I've asked politicians running. And when you ask them, they like their eyes glaze over. They're like, what are you talking about? 435? The real thing that's going on in their head, I'm guessing, is I have no idea why it's 435. But mm. I'm going to say that you're wrong because it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, well, that's an easy it, response too. You know, if you don't know anything, right. you say, well, you, you know, obviously you're wrong for bringing this up. Right. I, I remember the first time I asked somebody about it, I was at like a conference or whatever. I felt really stupid. Like I felt like, oh man, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And then like, I kept on researching and studying and I, and then I, I think back and I go, oh, they didn't understand what I was saying. Now I get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why they said that they weren't trying to be mean to me. <laughs> well, I think, um, that's why I know you've been writing some poems. Uh, I don't know if you've got any to share, but I think that's why poetry is so effective at communicating ideas because it's trying to take a complicated idea, break it down, and then share it through 
you know, simif- metaphors, similes, but ideas that we all understand and all kind of um, have can create an image in our mind. And I think that's why effective poetry um, is, you know, is marketing in a certain sense because it's allowing a story to be told that you can understand. And I think, um, you know, I think the pictures you you drew of the problem with the 435 representatives and the size of the population and that funnel is, uh, I think that's going to help uh, people kind of understand the problem more. I hope so. I did write some, I have written some poetry. Um, so I did put a couple out on my Instagram uh, earlier this week, if anybody wants to check it out. I got some poetry, poetry about society and manhood, which we talk a little bit in this uh, this episode about. I have some other ones that I'm still working on. And I actually, I just, uh, I watched the movie Elvis. Have you seen that? No. The new movie Elvis? Okay, so I just watched that with my kids. Yesterday was like family day for me. I just hadn't spent a lot of time. My, it was my dad's birthday. We went to breakfast with him and then we had uh, a car show with him and then I did stuff. We ended up, Oliver really wanted to watch this Elvis movie and I thought it was fantastic. And in there, I learned a lot about Elvis's uh you know, career that I didn't know. And I looked up this song that he sang in this, and it's called, uh, if I can dream. And I was just listening to it over and over again. It like, it struck me. It was so powerful and I won't, uh, I'm going to write an article about it. So I'm not going to go into detail about why it was so powerful. But, um, when I was re- uh, listening to it, I was thinking about, uh, a friend of ours wrote an article about the Biden stuff. And he talked about, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm-hmm. And it started. It, it was. It made me think about Elvis and the fact that like most of the stuff that he sang was somebody else's words. And what made him such so powerful was his ability to say it differently, which connected it to a larger group of people. And in this song that in the in this in the movie and in this this song was is during his '68 comeback special. He wrote that song himself. It was the first time I think um, where he really, you know had decided to use his power of communicating and his voice, his thought, his reason to share because he felt like he had something to say and he had an obligation to say it because he had this microphone. And it's this really powerful song. So I took it and I, I was thinking about that way, about you know just taking somebody else's words and saying it differently. And I turned it into a poem. And <laughs> I, I wrote, I just took the lyrics. I changed a few lines to kind of fit what I'm working on right now. And I turned on a po- to a poem and I thought... It was uh, just a really interesting thing. I'll put that out uh, sometime later this week as well if you're interested in unique poetry styles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, like you said, it's about telling a story. Yeah, it's it's about telling the story and it's about being able to connect with people. It's about, it was kind of started off about bringing people along to understand your point of view. Um, and I think, you know, poetry is so human because it's trying to connect at a very basic level of sort of shared knowledge shared understanding um and i think you know that's that's missing from our political discourse yeah it's it's funny you know going back to us running for congress um i don't know what you were doing in april when you were running for congress because we really hadn't got to know each other yet that well but um back in april i was putting on a poetry show when i was supposed to be running for congress and a lot of people were like why are you doing this and i I, I really don't know other than the fact that I felt like I needed to because it, it helped me communicate. It was something I was really passionate about. And throughout my reading of our founders and like all these great men that have led our country, I found that they were all like poets, right? Jefferson wrote poetry. Adams wrote poetry. Um, Grant wrote poetry. You know, I think uh, Wilson even wrote poetry. Not that I was saying 
great leader, but you know, all these, you know, he leaders, got the presidency. You got to count for something. I, 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 yeah, that's true. Um, and so I was thinking, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm on to something here. Maybe I should just keep with this poetry thing. And, uh, I was having a bad week last week and I, I went to church and I was talking to, uh, one of the leaders at the church and he reminded me that a lot of the people in the Bible wrote poetry and, and I was just like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. This is, makes me feel connected to a different group of people and, um, makes me feel like maybe there's a little bit of, uh, hope out there <laughs> you know because i that's what i what i always find hope in poetry um in those short little stories to get the point across to like bring something somebody up when on their darker days you know yeah it's powerful i mean like the psalms are all songs written by david uh, throughout points of his career so like that's a huge section of poetry in the bible uh, i think the book of wisdom is a poetic aspect to that but it's it's that storytelling and that uh you know uh, sharing emotion if if only we could get a president who could share proper emotion hmm. down to the people <laughs> yeah or a house rep <laughs> or a house rep you know but, but it's it's uh i think the point i try to make in the b article is that like that newspaper that we need in society is sort of the the norms of of uh, listening to people of uh, not demonizing people of not pushing them away of allowing someone to have different ideas and to listen to those different ideas i think um, one thing I've noticed with people that come across is some people are so afraid of other ideas and I, you know, there, there's some prudence in that perhaps, but when it's just kind of like, you know, they don't like what they hear in church, uh, and when they're, or they don't like that this particular author says something and it, that's just kind of isn't delivered in the way they want, you know, I think, um, that's a, 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 a an aspect of society that also can be approved of us. Uh, being a little tougher with what we hear. Yeah, I agree. Reminds right, me of that poem, Sticks and Stones May Break My Bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Words will never hurt me. Well, I think this was a good episode, John. What do you think? I think so. Although, I, I tell you, words sometimes bring me down, though. <laughs> they don't hurt, but they bring me down. But they can also bring you up. Um. Yeah, so what do we what do we plug in here, John? We're plugging our uh, we've got a Substack. Um, yeah, Substack. We talk about bees. I've got a speaking of corporations. I know you like to. I got to finish this article on Apple and how Apple controls people. That's from the perspective of a developer that wrote iPhone apps. So stay tuned, people. I know you've got a couple things in the works. Yep, I've got one uh, a king of the hill, uh, another king of the hill synopsis about what it is to be a good father and teaching your son how to treat women, um, and then another one on Elvis, which I already mentioned, um, which the story of Elvis is a story of power, which fits perfectly into our politics section of politics and parenting. Um, so, anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, if you like our articles, please share, subscribe, uh, follow us on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Um, you can find our handles uh, in the show notes. And if you are feeling in uh, feeling like doing a lot of work, you could write us a nice review or comment. This is supposed to be a dialogue. It's supposed to be a conversation. If you agree with what we got to say, chime in. But if you disagree, definitely chime in. Like We want the discourse. We want to be able to have a conversation with people. Um, we think that's kind of how we get our society moving forward and repair our republic. Anything else to add there, John? Just have everyone have a happy Labor Day. Or hopefully you had a happy Labor Day, depending on when you listen to this. <laughs> yes. All right. Peace and love. <laughs>